Time with your host, Coach Danielle McCartan. You can follow her work on Twitter at Coach McCartan. That's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Hey everybody, I'm back. This is 60 Minute Overtime, Spring 2017, Episode 15. Today is what, May 14th, 2017. I'm your hostess, Danielle McCartan. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there, including mine, who's watching on Periscope every week and today. <laughs> Hi, Mom. <laughs> Today's guest, Marty Appel. He's a sports author, and his most recent work is Casey Stengel, Baseball's Greatest Character. Also, we'll hear from my interview with Henrik Lundqvist, goaltender for the New York Rangers. Today's topics, Derek Jeter Day. And we'll talk a little bit about the qualification for a number to be re- retired. Rangers are out of the NHL playoffs. Wah, wah. Who was the GOAT? No, not the greatest of all time, but who was the GOAT? Who could have stepped up and didn't? Matt Harvey? What the heck happened with Matt Harvey? Uh, that's not my what the F story of the week, though. That's coming up right after that. And we'll have the first 60 minute overtime pro sports rundown.com crossover event, a book review. Oh, yeah. I'm an intellectual as well. Find my work, pro sports rundown.com, Twitter at Coach MCCARTAN, YouTube search Coach Space MCCARTAN, SoundCloud.com slash Coach McCartan, and on demand, iTunes official podcast, Coach space mccartan in the itunes store tune in radio under the, the show's name 60 minute overtime play.google.com slash coach mccartan video simulcast right now on periscope at coach mccartan and quick look up to facebook.com slash coach mccartan and you guys don't forget this is this is interactive so you can call in with your thoughts on anything got something to say call the studio 201-825-1234. I have a lot of confidence. I think you have to have confidence in your ability. Anytime I'm in a situation, I tend to look back and think back to times that I had success. And I, and I think that's, that's helped me out throughout my career. The stronger you are mentally, I think the better you're going to perform. But I work extremely hard at it. You know, I don't take too much time off in the offseason. The thing that I've prided myself on in my career is consistency. I work extremely hard. I feel as though I have a job to do each and every day. I take a lot of pride in being consistent. I want the organization to, to pretty much know what to expect when I take the field. But for the most part, I think they've known what to expect. So today is, or tonight is, Derek Jeter night, Derek Jeter day, Derek Jeter weekend here in New York. If you didn't know who that was talking just now, that was Derek Jeter, the most iconic New York sports player of all time. Yes, I'm going to say it. Derek Jeter. Do you know that Derek Jeter hit safely in 77% of the games he played? Like, that's kind of crazy, actually, if you really, really think about it. ESPN is going to be featuring, or I, be, I was watching softball last night, yesterday. Um, every 10 minutes, there was a commercial for Derek Jeter Day on ESPN. So the coverage begins, yes, I've heard it a million times, at 6.30 p.m. Tonight, the Yankees are taking on the Astros from the stadium. My thoughts on 
the doubleheader today coming up later. But let's just talk about Derek Jeter for now. Derek Jeter is the only shortstop I ever knew until well into my adult life. <laughs> um, I'm wearing his t-shirt right now for those of you guys on Periscope and, and Facebook watching. He's going to be the 20 tonight. He's going to be the 22nd number retired by the New York Yankees. His number two is the last single-digit Yankee number. And it's going to join the illustrious Monument Park tonight. In my opinion, Derek Jeter is the gold standard, not just for baseball, or not just for the Yankees, not just for baseball, but for sports. I mean, on the field, the guy was the captain. I remember seeing an interview or reading an article once, and someone asked him, you know, Derek, you're Derek Jeter. Why do you have to run in, run out? Don't you just, like, walk? Like, you know? He's like, you know what? Because someone is always watching in the stands. He's always ready to emulate you. Someone is always watching. Not in a bad way, but someone, he has he, he, he has this, this sense of responsibility to be a good role model to the people watching him. Off the field, he is the quintessential, quote-unquote, Yankee. I mean, as far as I know, the guy never got in trouble, ever. Uh, off the field, now he's he's divulged himself into the Turn 2 Foundation, which I interviewed his sister, Charlie Jeter. She got an award at NYU, one of my first interviews I ever did. And it's just, he gives back to the community with Jeter's leaders. He has them at the stadium every single year. Um, I think st even still, now that he's not playing anymore, I think um, he's just a good role model in the community. He's a good uh, captain, a leader on the field. Uh, and then I started thinking about a couple times I've interacted with Derek Jeter. I I've yet to interview him. He would be the one. But one time, me and my dad were leaving the stadium. It was May 2nd. It was his birthday. I remember that. We had, um, where were we sitting? In the Delta suite. And it was a hot day. They took him out in like the seventh inning, I want to say, or the eighth inning. And we were on, stuck in traffic on that white bridge. Is that the McCombs Dam Bridge? And I saw a black expedition. You know, he, he does um, commercials for Ford. And he actually does drive a Ford expedition. And he was on stuck in traffic, gridlock. You don't leave in the stadium, you guys know. And I said, and it was Florida Plates, Black black Expedition with Florida Plates. And I said, Dad, catch up to that car. That's Derek Cheater. He's like, no, 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 it's not. I'm like, yes, it is. So we caught up to the car. And then sure enough, it was him. We rolled down the window. I, of course, I was wearing my Mark Teixeira jersey that day. That was my first mistake. But uh, rolled down the window. My dad said, Jeet, hey, Jeet. And he, he was texting. Oh, you're we stuck in traffic. He was boxed in by us, a, a double-decker bus and traffic behind him. And uh, he looked up and he waved. I was like, no one's going to believe that story. So I quick got my camera out and took a picture of him. He, he gave me a dirty look, but I'll tweet that picture later uh, at Coach McCartan if you want to see it. That was the first one of the first times. And then uh, I was at the first ever game at the new Yankee Stadium. They were playing the Cubs. It was a preseason game. And he does that long throw, if you remember, um, prior right to, right at pregame we were sitting in one of the lower sections the field level and we were, I was waiting 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 it was freezing it was like a little rainy and uh he was throwing and I some kid was calling me next to me jeet 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 so he finally turned around and I had my hand underneath the two of the jersey and I had a sharpie right there ready to go open and everything 
And he looked at me right in the eyes and he said, I'm sorry, I can't sign that. And like, instead of thinking like, you know, the lo- next logical question would be like, why not? Or please, or, or just a response in general. I just couldn't respond. <laughs> I didn't say anything back. <laughs> so uh, I, I turned around to my cousin. I was like, did you see that? He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. He just talked to you. <laughs> But that's the kind of effect that Derek Jeter has. I mean, obviously he's bound by the Steiner Sports ironclad uh, contracts, obviously. So, I don't know. I guess I I thought I was going to get lucky, but I guess not. Alex Rodriguez did sign my jersey once in the same exact spot, though. (laughs) So I was at the final game also of Derek Jeter. Obviously, I'm a very, very big Derek Jeter fan. I'm a shortstop. So is he. Um... He was, like, one of my first favorite players. But I was at his final, final game. A freezing night. It also was raining. It, see, it rains on everything I do. So any, any big event that I'm going to be at, please, it's going to rain. So prepare for it. But that game, it had rained. And then right before the game started, a nice rainbow came out right over the scoreboard in center field. I have the pictures. I was looking through them this morning. It was freezing. It was against the Baltimore Orioles. The date was September 25th, 2014. And it wasn't looking good for us Yankee fans there in the stands. But then all of a sudden, as the baseball gods had it, Derek Jeter gets a final at-bat in the ninth inning. And people, the stadium was just intermittently chanting, Derek Jeter, throughout. Like, usually that happens by the bleacher creatures in the beginning of the game, and that's it. But this time around, it was just, I don't know, it was like catching fire all throughout the stadium at different times. When he was in the field, when he was at-bat. And I remember in the seventh inning, bottom of the seventh, it was last at bat, and I remember just started crying because I never didn't think I would see him get up again, which was very wrong because, like I said, as the baseball gods had it, he got up in the ninth inning with one out and hit a game-winning base hit, the true, you know, inside-out, Derek Jeter fashion, base hit to, to right center, and the Yankees won that game on that hit, 6-5. to five. I was looking back, and I know I had a video of it, and I put it on YouTube, on my YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube.com. In the search bar, you type Coach Space M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. This is my video from Section 232B, I think it was, or 232A, down the right or left field line, right by the foul pole. We were sitting right next to the foul pole in the 200 level. This is my video of Derek Cheater's last at-bat. And the video is just not stable. Looking up at the sky. Here's the dog pile at second base. Mob scene. <laughs> Thank you, too. Flashes on the scoreboard. People jumping up and down their seats with their signs that they made. And there's the familiar New York, New York, Frank Sinatra. Thank you, Derek. That was so cool. The stadium was actually jumping up and down. You could feel it under your feet. The sta- It was like a World Series game. And the stadium was just jumping. People were so excited. 
and I believe that was a Sunday, if I'm not mistaken, and right after that, we kind of watched, we watched him come out, back to shortstop, Neil, I have those videos too if you want me to tweet those, and that's it, and people went home, and, and that was the end of an era. Then, of course, the Yankees had Derek Jeter Day, September 7th, 2014, of course, I was there too. There was, uh, those seats were real good. Those were right behind home plate. A-list people were there. Let me tell you, Michael Jordan being the most, you know, Derek Jeter, obviously, his family, and Michael Jordan. I've never seen Michael Jordan in person. He has such a little head. <laughs> and tonight at the stadium, you can expect that they tw the Yankees tweeted the, the link to who to expect to be there. Mariano Rivera, obviously, Jorge Posada, Andy Pettit, the core four. I think David Cohn is, is broadcasting the game, I believe. Um, and Hideki Matsui. Gene Stick Michael will also be there. And uh, he, he, Gene Stick Michael, I had interviewed, and he was the mastermind behind the entire 1996 Yankees team. And he was one of the guys who said, like, this is Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter is selected a sixth overall, and Gene Stick Michael was the one who did it, who picked him. So I interviewed David Cohn on, on uh, and I asked him, I guess it was a tough question, what is one of his most famous moments that he's ever broadcast? And here's what he had to say. What is the best moment you've called as a Yes Network broadcaster? Uh, you know, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to think in those terms for me. You know, uh, it's, as a broadcaster, it's been a learning curve for me, and you, you kind of get thrown in the booth as an ex-player with no training. And, it's kind of sink or swim time. So I'm just now getting to the point where I, I'm understanding the nature of the business a little better and the game's slowing down, as they say up there, and there's a little better sense of timing for me. Uh, you know, I, I think being a part of uh, a couple of great farewell tours, Derek Jeter's last game was a big one. I was here, yeah. To be able to see that, and Mariano Rivera's last game was also a big one, to see the emotion that uh, he showed, especially uh, when Andy Pettit came to take him out of the game. Yeah. So, you know, those are my guys. Those are guys that I actually, actually was teammates with. So those are, those are two, okay. two moments that stand out. So the first one that David Cohn says, Derek Jeter's last game. And I just talked about how I was there, too. And, da and David Cohn was a teammate of Derek Jeter, too. Derek Jeter, deserving of this, no doubt. You're a true competitor. There's not much negative you could say about the guy. Even the Red Sox honored him. And as a Yankee, when the Red Sox honor you, you know you made it. And I listen, I hope that Derek Jeter is going to be the first unanimous first ballot Hall of Famer. But you know there's going to be some knucklehead guys that are going to vote against him just to to be the guy that voted against Derek Jeter. Like if you look at the Las Vegas Raiders move, it was almost unanimous except for the Miami Dolphins owner that wanted to be the guy who said no to that. Billy D, I was at the 1977's World Series fan Three when Reggie hit three home runs on three pitches. I was seven, still vivid. See, it's just one of those things you're just never going to forget. And uh, Derek Jeter wanted to do this on Mother's Day, and this was no accident. Uh, May 14th, picking of this day was was no accident. He said, he told, I think it was Yankee Magazine, and this is a quote from Derek Jeter. It was my choice. I thought it would make it even more special. I have close relationships with my entire family. But I thought it was a great opportunity to do something special for my mom. She's been very important to me, always being positive and telling me from a young age that I could do anything I wanted to do as long as I worked hard at it. I thought it was a good day not only to acknowledge my entire family, but especially my mom. End quote. And here's a commercial that New Era Cap put together.
um, with a lot of quotes from a lot of A-list uh, baseball players, Della Matanzas, Bryce Harper, Noah Syndergaard, and many other Class A MLB players. To my mom and all moms, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, Ma. Hey, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. I love you. Hola, Ma. Feliz Dia de la Madre. Hey, Mom. I love you. Thanks for all the love and support. I love you. You're the best. Feliz Dia de las Madres. To all the mothers out there, happy Mother's Day. And happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. I'm Henrik Lundqvist, goaltender for the New York Rangers, and you're listening to Danielle McCartan on 60-Minute Overtime. And the New York Rangers are out of the playoffs in uh, in heartbreaking fashion, in my opinion. <sighs> I don't know. It seemed like they had it. They just they, they had it. And at the end of that last game there, it was just absolute target practice at the opposing goalie once they pulled Henrik Lundqvist off the ice. I mean, it was like, I mean, it was incessant. It was like rapid fire shots on goal, and they still couldn't score. Billy D says, I am so done with the Rangers. I mean, I think, I don't know the exact times, but they had the lead for most of the series, like in total time. They had the lead. And how did they lose? How did they lose? A lot of people are getting on Henrik Lundqvist. And uh, he's a goalie that has never won a Stanley Cup championship. Which kind of speaks to, or does it speak to his talent level and, and what he is able to accomplish behind the goal. And what was most disheartening to me was there was a home game. They lost at home. And the Rangers had scored a goal. And then literally the next possession down. Down the ice. Literally the next possession down the ice. Henrik Lundqvist lets up a goal. I mean, come on, man. You get the momentum going. Billy D says, one man doesn't make a team. The team let down. Well, I have a particular person here, but let's hear from Henrik Lundqvist. I asked him, will he ever leave New York in order to pursue a Stanley Cup elsewhere? I had a, a fan question come in. He wants to know, he's very concerned, would you ever consider leaving New York in order to pursue the ring? No. Good. No. Very uh, good. New York is my home, and... and you know, they've been giving me this great opportunity to play a lot of hockey, and I, 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 like I said, I, really, I, I loved every second being here, uh, being part of this organization, and, and uh, so my goal is to stay here, absolutely. He's going to be staying here, for better or for worse, Rangers fans, so get used to it. I had been saying throughout, where was, and Billy wants to know too, where was the defense? You know Hockey isn't just like a, an, a goalie on an island that you have to score past. Like, you have a defense that you have to get through first before you get to the goalie. So if I'm going to address some off-season things for the Rangers, first step, defense. Yeah, Billy D said slight changes in Ottawa's game plan completely threw them off. I think so. Especially in defense. How do you let all these guys go right through? Cut right through right and get a shot on goal right to the goalie. But most... Of a concern for me, I'll tell you who it is. Most concerning to me, looking at the regular season and into the playoffs, the player that is most concerning to me was Chris Kreider. Chris Kreider all but disappeared into the playoffs. He, he, that guy melted into the ice. He, who? Where was he? 
I started looking up this morning. Regular season, Chris Kreider was fourth on the team in points. In the playoffs, he was 10th on the team in points. Regular season, the guy was first in goals. He w- he scored the most goals on the New York Rangers, Chris Kreider. In the playoffs, he dropped down to sixth. He played in all 12 games, just like everyone else. So you can't say that there was, you know, he, he got less ice time than, than someone else. I'm just wondering, what happened to him? How do you go from being scoring the most goals on the team in the regular season to sixth? So the Rangers, in effect, were, were playing shorthanded. They were, were playing without their best scorer. And even with, without their, their best points scorer. Forget about the goals. Your, point, your, your fourth best point scorer is now 10th. So that means to me, that indicates to me, that there's not much going on offensively either. Of course, guys like Zibanejad stepped up. Nash stepped up big time. But Chris Kreider, I, I don't know what, what happened. What Was the moment too big for him maybe? I don't, I don't really know. But if I'm going to address anything this offseason, number one is going to be the defense, and number two, I'm going to have a long, hard look at Chris Hot Kreider because it doesn't matter what you do in the regular season. It's what you do in the playoffs. Billy thinks he was hurt and not saying anything. But see, I have a problem with that too because if you're hurt and not saying anything, you're hurting the team as well. You need to come off the ice. You need to ha- let someone else step up and give someone else a shot. I mean, you have a, uh, a playoff-bound team. You have depth in your in your roster. So as a, as a competitor, you need to know when you, you can't play, when you can't give it 100%. you got to give it up to someone else who can. So maybe it'll come out that Chris Kreider was hurt. Maybe. But it doesn't help anybody now. And I got to say, this is not all on Henrik Lundqvist. Your number one playmaker just disappeared. He just wasn't there for the New York Rangers. So you can't blame this on Lundqvist. No way. But for now, I think I'm going to be pulling from the Nashville Predators. One, I like the city of Nashville. Two, Mike Fisher plays for the Predators. Three, that's Carrie Underwood's husband. And four, I like that they're yellow. <laughs> and for the other reasons, I hate uh, Crosby on the, the Penguins. I just It's like the least of all the evils. You know what I'm saying? I cannot root for the Penguins. And I think, I think I'm going to root for the Predators now. Now that the Rangers are out, Predators. I think my second favorite team is going to be, though, the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Someone thinks, I, I think that was you, Billy. The Pens are going to win. I hope not. Oh, I hope not. I can't stand Crosby. He's such a dirty player. I'm glad they're they're, uh, they're hitting him back and stuff too now, hitting cheap shots, because <laughs> he deserves it. He's like he's like the A Rod of the NHL. You love him if he's on your team. You hate him if he's on the other team. But I guess I'm sort of a hypocrite here because I always loved A Rod. <laughs> Overtime, hurry up offense with Danielle McCarton. In MLB news, the New York Yankees today will host the Houston Astros as part of a single admission day-night doubleheader. 
2.05 p.m. is the first pitch for that. It's the makeup from yesterday. Astros' Mike Fires will take the rubber against the Yankees' Luis Severino. 7.38 p.m., the night game will feature a starting pitching matchup of Charlie Morton for Houston versus Masahiro Tanaka for the Yankees. Derek Jeter's ceremony begins approximately at 6.30 p.m. In Mets news, last night the Mets lost 11-4 to the Brewers in Milwaukee. The Brewers scored eight runs in the fifth inning, making for a long night for the Amazons. Travis Shaw, third baseman for the Brewers, went 3-for-5 with 4 RBI. Today at 2.10 p.m. in Milwaukee, the Mets' Jacob deGrom will take on the Brewers' Willie Peralta. In NHL playoffs, we are at the semifinals. There are four teams that remain, the Nashville Predators, the Anaheim Ducks, the Ottawa Senators, and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Game two of the Predators versus Ducks. Tonight at 7.30 p.m. in Anaheim, the Predators lead the series one zip. Game two of the Senators versus the Penguins. Monday at 8 p.m. in Pittsburgh, the Senators lead that series one zip. For the Senators, New Jersey connection here, Cherry Hill native Bobby Ryan netted a game winner in overtime last night, and this was the 25th overtime game in the NHL playoffs this year. In terms of NBA playoffs, the Golden State Warriors, the San Antonio Spurs, the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the Boston Celtics and Washington Wizards remain. The game one of the semifinals is Spurs vs. Warriors Sunday at 3.30 p.m. That's today in Oakland, home of Golden State. And game seven of the quarterfinals between the Wizards and Celtics is going to be Monday at 8 p.m. in Boston. And the winner of that game gets a date with LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. In quick NFL news, former Giants wide receiver and Super Bowl winner Victor Cruz is set to visit the Jacksonville Jaguars on May 23rd. Of note, his former head coach Tom Coughlin is a current executive vice president of football operations for the Jaguars. So it's looking good down in Jacksonville. I'm Danielle McCartan with your 60-minute overtime hurry-up offense. This is Noah Syndergaard, pitcher for the New York Mets. You're listening to 60-minute overtime on WRPR. Well, 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 if you would have told me not long ago that the Yankees were going to be the better team in New York, I would have laughed. But the New York Mets are the worst team in New York. We can say successfully. Last night, Wayne Randazzo, who's been on here before, tweeted, Once again, a Mets starter doesn't get into the seventh inning. April 28th was the last time. The Mets are just in a bad way. And speaking of Mets starters, I got something for you. I got a hangover. Whoa. I've been drinking too much for sure. I got a hangover. Whoa. Matt Harvey, the Mets' dark knight, who will earn $5.1 million this year, suspended three games by the New York Mets. There are conflicting stories here. That's right. He got a little bit trashed on Cinco de Mayo. There's a couple stories circulating around here. 
Story number one is that Matt Harvey celebrated Cinco de Mayo well into Seis de Mayo. He was out drinking at One Oak in New York City until 4 a.m. on the morning of the Mets game. Apparently, according to reports, he was drinking Ace of Spades champagne, Don Julio, 1942, and Belvedere Vaca in his own little section with his boys. Terry Collins, manager of the Mets, first noticed his absence during batting practice around 4.30. Let's put together this timeline. He's out till 4 in the morning drinking. 4.30 p.m. it goes that notice that he's missing. An assistant coach calls him. No answer. Later, the same assistant coach gets a text back from Harvey saying he wasn't going to make it to the game due to migraines. Hmm. At 10 p.m. That, that night, the Mets sent two security officials to his apartment to check on him. Like a wellness check, I guess. He didn't go to the game. Story number two is Matt Harvey's story. He tells FanRag that he woke up early on the morning of the 6th of May, the 6th de Mayo. He drove his friends to and from a golf outing. A private chef made him lunch. After that, he fell asleep. And he woke up with a migraine and couldn't make it to the stadium. He said he was the first to text the assistant coach between 3 and 4 p.m. saying he wouldn't make it to the game. And he says that at 10 p.m. he opened the door in his pajamas, which spurted lots of memes on the Internet. He said it wasn't a wellness check. It was an inquisition into his absence. Well, just keep in mind that, you know, there's always three sides to a story. Your story, their story, and the truth. Truth. I believe that story number one is true. I'll tell you why. There's a backstory to this. Harvey is dating supermodel and Victoria's secret, uh, a uh, secret angel, Adriana Lima, or is he? Well, here's the story. Adriana Lima was seen out with ex-boyfriend Patriots Julian Edelman, that sneaky little squirrel, as Tom Brady called him, at Rihanna's Met Gala after party, which is also at One Oak, by the way. And someone who has this job to keep tabs on celebrities' uh, Instagram accounts. I don't know who has that job, and I don't know how much they get paid, but maybe I would want to do that if it pays more than where I am now. But this person has the 411. Here it is. After that party, Adriana Lima stopped following Matt Harvey on Instagram. Then a Mets fan replied to one of her posts and told her, you ruined the Mets season, go away. She writes back, actually, that there's always two sides to the coin. Okay, two sides to every coin. Here's Matt Harvey's sorry, not sorry press conference uh, with the Mets organization. This is from New York Mets Facebook page. Um, first off, as I, as I just did um, with my teammates and, and all the coaches, um, I apologize for, for my actions, and I do apologize for my actions. Um, obviously, I'm extremely embarrassed by my actions. Uh, I apologize to my teammates, to the Mets organization, to the Wilpons, you know, all the way down to the Mets fans for doing what I did. And, and um, yes, I was out on Friday night uh, past curfew. I did play golf. Uh, Saturday morning, and I put myself in a bad place to be ready for showing up for a ball for a ball game. That is my responsibility. I take full blame for that, and I apologize to my teammates. I've 
apologize to the coaches and I'm doing everything in my power so that that never happens again. And, uh, like I've said, I'm uh, extremely embarrassed for my actions. And, uh, I'm working forward to getting things back on track and, and doing everything I can to help this team win and help this organization moving forward. And uh, they all have my word on that one. So here's my question. Why couldn't Matt Harvey just show up to the game with the hangover? He's a starting pitcher, and he wasn't starting that day. He wasn't supposed to even play that day. Just show up, man. You know, David Wells once pitched a perfect game. I think that was on my birthday, May 17th, 1990, I want to say 7. David Wells pitched a perfect game while he was hungover. You know that, right? That game, he had a hangover. So Matt Harvey... What are you doing? Is this a subversive way to just have the Mets get rid of you? Are you not happy in New York? Do you want to be the the, the number one starter? Do you want to be the guy? Because the Mets have many guys. It wouldn't be the worst thing for Mets fans. But I just don't understand why he just didn't show up. Because it's, like it's not even like he was playing. He wasn't even playing or wasn't even scheduled to play. I can see if you're like a position player, maybe, maybe not showing up. But I think there's more to this story with Adriana Lima, Julian Edelman, and Matt Harvey. This is uh, this is for TMZ. This is TMZ news here, and I don't really understand why. First of all, <laughs> you're playing golf the morning of a game. I just don't, I, I don't know. I don't know. I can't wrap my mind around it because you're supposed to be this MLB star, yet you're playing golf in the morning, and then you come home. There's The, the timeline of that doesn't even make sense because people saw you at 1 a.m. at One Oak. Then they saw you leave at 4 a.m. at One Oak. Do you go golfing on three hours of sleep to golf, a full round with four, a foursome of golf, have lunch, and then at 3 o'clock you're ready to text the, the coach of the Mets and tell him you're not going to make it? I, that t- timeline doesn't even make sense to me. I'm not a golf player, but that doesn't even make sense. And by the way, Harvey's first start back since the suspension, he only lasted a little over five innings against the, the Brewers. He gave up five runs, on which was three home runs. He walked five batters. That's ridiculous. And that followed two straight nights of allowing six runs in six innings. So the Mets are not looking good both on and off the field. Who knows what's going to happen, but Terry Collins is PO'd at Matt Harvey, and it looks like his um, his numbers are starting to struggle too. I would venture to guess he's got a drinking problem. And I think a lot of Mets fans would uh, would agree. And now it just, it's starting to affect his play. So watch this. The, he, Matt Harvey's going to pull a CC Sabathia move. Watch this, where he admits he's got a problem and he go, goes away for the rest of the season to to rehab, not physical rehab, but drinking <laughs> rehab. And he's going to come back like CC Sabathia did. Watch this. I, that would not shock me in the least. And by the way, the guy makes five point one million dollars this year. He's set to make five point one million dollars. I was going to make that my what the F story of the day, but I decided this one's better.
Okay, what the f- <laughs> I'm sorry, but we're going to have to go back to the Yankees for the what the F story of the day. Yesterday, we had this nor'easter in New Jersey, New York, that came in like it didn't even drizzle once. I mean, it poured the entire day from the morning till late last night. The, and it didn't let up. So the Yankees had to postpone their Astros game that was supposed to be yesterday to today. Then they come out and say that people that had tickets to last night's game can't go to today's afternoon makeup game. Yeah, you heard that, right? If you had tickets to last night and they're making that game up today, you can't go. Let me read you the statement from the Yankees. This is on their Twitter page. Only tickets dated Sunday, May 14th will be valid for the doubleheader. Tickets for today's originally scheduled game, dated Saturday, May 13th, will not be valid for tomorrow's doubleheader. Fans holding paid tickets for today's game may exchange their paid tickets for any regular season game at Yankee Stadium through the end of the 2018 season subject to availability. Fans should note that Sunday's doubleheader is sold out. All Yankee Stadium gates will open to the guests with valid tickets dated Sunday, May 14th on Sunday beginning at 1 p.m. The first game of the doubleheader will begin at 2.05 p.m. The Derek Jeter night pregame ceremony is scheduled to take place no earlier than 6.35 p.m. The second game of the doubleheader is scheduled to start at the conclusion of Derek Jeter night pregame ceremony but will not start earlier than 7.35 p.m. That's going to start later, I'm telling you now. The yes, yes will broadcast the first game of the doubleheader, and ESPN will broadcast the second game of the doubleheader. Complimentary tickets for today's game are not valid for any future games. Wow. Comp tickets or equivalent tickets bear no cash value and will not have any additional benefits that may be offered to tickets with a dollar value. Now, I have two things about this as I'm reading this. Number one, you can't exchange your tickets with the Yankees without driving to the Bronx and exchanging them in person. You can't do it over the phone and you, you can't there's no other way. You have to go to the Bronx to pick a new game. Now, I'm coming from New Jersey and I tried to do this once. Well, I, I did do it once. You pay $15 to go over the George Washington Bridge. You get to the Bronx, you get to the other side, and there's nowhere to park. The lots aren't even open. You can't park on the street there. You don't want to park on the street any farther than where you can see Yankee Stadium from your street, where you are. And you drive around. We drove around for an hour and a half one day to try and find parking just to exchange tickets or redeem tickets. If that's your policy, first of all, you need to open a garage, at least one level of a garage, and make it free. That's first off. Second off, I do group sales and, and doing group sales. I, I, I bring a group to Yankee Stadium every year. And for that, I receive a, comp, a pack of complimentary tickets. Again, I can't redeem that over the phone. I have to go to the stadium, go up to the window and pick my games or game. And it's really astounding to me that if you had comp tickets for yesterday's game, you can't even redeem them for a future game. That's ridiculous. Because if I'm bringing 45 people to a game, to receive my four tickets, I should be able to use my complimentary tickets whenever I want. Not to mention not get reimbursed for them or even the option to pick another game to go to. I think that's ridiculous. 
And that's just not fair. That That's poor business. And I wonder if Randy Levine is is at the top of this here because Randy Levine is public enemy number one in terms of tickets and everything and it, with the, the legend seats, the controversy that he stirred up. I wouldn't be surprised if he's behind this. So only people with May 14th tickets are allowed to attend the doubleheader. How do the Yankees expect people to stay at the ballpark for that marathon today? The gates open at 1 p.m., okay? Game 2 expected to start at 7.35. That's not likely. I'm going to say more of like 8.30. The game should wrap up around 10.30, 11. I mean, that's like 10 to 12 hours you're expecting people to stay at the stadium, paying $8, 10, whatever it is, $10 for a beer, $10 for chicken fingers. These people have to eat lunch and dinner there. This is a cash cow scheme, and I don't like it. But what if you, oh, what if you had legend seats to today's game? You get to eat for free for, for 12 hours. So that's just ridiculous. This is another way for the elite, for the Yankees to cater to the elite and shut out the real fans. The, by doing this, the Yankees are saying that they'd rather have an empty stadium for this game one. You're going to turn on the Yes Network and you're going to see nobody there. Nobody. Empty. Come on. And instead of making the people go back to the stadium to redeem their tickets, why don't you allow them the luxury of doing it either online? You have the Yankees ticket exchange monopoly, right? You could just do it like that. Put in the barcodes of the tickets and pick a new game, right? Or maybe by phone. That would be nice. Or maybe you can compensate them for more than one game for this sham. You give them two sets of tickets. That would be that would be good customer service, I would say. Or I have another solution. Why don't you start the first game even earlier, like now, like start at like eleven or ten, so it gives the people more time to clear out. Because the Yankees cited the fact that they couldn't clear out one game before the next game started, which I think is bull because they've done it before, and they've done it before on bat day. Yes, they have which is like the lines wrap around the gates. The lines for the gates wrap around the entire stadium on that day, and they've done it for that too. So I think they're worried about people, obviously they're worried about people paying for the first game and staying for the second game. Well, why don't you just arrest anybody for trespassing if they're caught staying for both? Check the bathroom stalls. You know, have the security and police do their work, do their job. If they catch anybody, arrest them for trespassing. Done deal. Done deal. I think this is bull, and I feel for the people that had tickets for yesterday's game, and people like me who do group sales who had tickets for yesterday's game. That's ridiculous. It's just ridiculous, man. What are they doing? What are the Yankees doing? I'll tell you what they're doing. They're catering to their, their one percenters fans, and that's not cool with me. That's not cool. Now, my first ever book review was on the same vein one of the most famous Yankees managers Casey Stengel his number is also retired in Monument Park so this is a good day to do this Casey Stengel baseball's greatest character go find it on Marty Appel Marty Appel wrote the book if you can find it and buy it there as opposed to like Amazon or whatever um, they're doing a restoration project for 
Casey Stengel Field, where he's from, I believe, California. And proceeds from the book sales are going to help to build that field. So buy it on the official website, the Marty Appel's website. Don't buy it on uh, Amazon or Barnes & Noble because if you buy it there, the proceeds are not going where they should. And if you're spending the money anyway, you might as well just buy it from the official site, no? So here's my first ever book review. Me, Danielle McCartan, Coach McCartan, with Marty Appel. We're discussing Casey Stengel, Baseball's Greatest Character. And I think a lot of the times, these book reviews, people just kind of read the front and back jacket covers and research a little bit about Casey Stengel. But I actually read the book, and, and I think it shows. And uh, I think Marty Appel was, was a little surprised with, with my take on the book. Here it is. So let's welcome my first author to the program, 60 Minute Overtime, Marty Appel. He just wrote a book entitled Casey Stengel, Baseball's Greatest Character. And let me tell you, Marty, I have to consider myself a new Yankee fan. Uh, my first game was in 1997. I'm 28 years old. And Casey Stengel lived from 1890 to, to 1975. So the only capacity in which I knew him was as a space on the Yankee Monopoly board my brother and I used to play way back in the day. <laughs> Um, but now, after reading your book, I feel like I know him personally. I'll tell you the truth. Uh, in the two and a half years or so that I spent researching and writing the book, it became clear to me that barely anyone under 40 had heard of Casey Stengel. I knew in that sense that I was writing to an audience that would just have a blank look on their face. And that was one of the reasons that I was inspired to do the book, because he's a guy who was named the greatest character in baseball history by MLB Network, and yet so many people are totally ignorant of his life and his career. So I really wanted to bring him back to the forefront. Now, I, I did a quick search last night on Barnes & Noble, and it returned 16 books on Casey Stengel, including yours. Why was it so important you had to update his legend and, and his story? It had been over 30 years since the last major biography by my late friend Bob Creamer, and that book was like a baseball classic. It was a wonderful, wonderful book. But uh, it had been a long time. The book was some, was out of print for the most part, and uh, I was able to come up with material that wasn't available to Bob before the Internet age. Um, I was able to tap into newspaper archives from little minor league towns where Casey played, and recover long-lost anecdotes. And a big thing that I had was the family, when they learned I was doing this, made available to me an unpublished memoir by Casey's wife, Edna. She wrote it in 1958. It was never published because she didn't get the kind of publishing offer she was looking for. So it just stayed with the family all these years. They turned it over to me. And instead of Casey just being a baseball figure, now all of a sudden we have a husband and, uh, you know, a man off the field, a man at home with a very classy wife who traveled with him for almost his whole baseball career. So that was a wonderful find, and that really added another dimension. You know, my favorite parts I have here were Edna, Edna's parts, uh, her narratives, her, her stories. I, I love that part. Do you think, and I was thinking about this as I was reading, you know, they didn't have kids. They never had kids. Do you think that Edna was ever, like, truly happy, especially after Casey kept signing the new managerial contracts, after promising her one more year, one more year? 
I think she had a wonderful life with him because they loved each other and enjoyed traveling the world together. They made a number of odysseys to Europe and to the Far East. They never had children because, uh, I suspect, um, they were both in their 30s when they met and married. And in those days, people in their 30s weren't having children. I think it was as simple as that. So they were devoted to each other. She was ever at his side. She always sat, kept box score next to the to the dugout where Casey was managing. Uh, they lived at the Essex House Hotel all the years he managed the Yankees and the Mets on Central Park South. They lived an elegant, great life, and they were rich, too, thanks to Casey's investment in oil wells in the 1930s made them wealthy for life. That was so crazy to me that they're all investing. They're playing against each other on the field, yet they're all investing together off the field. I thought that was like a crazy concept. That was interesting. And most people, even in baseball, who felt they knew Casey, thought he was rich because Edna's family owned a bank in Glendale and Casey was a vice president. But that wasn't really the source of his wealth. It was this lucky oil strike in Texas in the 1930s that still produces checks to this day that gets mailed to the estate. That's crazy. Now, had you ever met Casey prior to beginning the book at all? Yes, I was the Yankees' public relations director in the 70s. I was the one who used to arrange Old Timers Day, um, handle all of Casey's travel logistics. I would greet him when he came to the stadium. He yelled at me once when I was pestering him about when... <laughs> whether he was going to be coming that year or not. Um, so I had some time with him. I, he came to five Yankee old-timers days. I was with him on all of those occasions. And often he still continued to be a guest at winter sports banquets that I attended. I write about that, in fact, the fact that um, at those sports banquets he would entertain the audience with Stengalese, which was the language he spoke <laughs> to everyone's amusement, uh, people who had seen that many times would kind of roll their eyes and leave the room when he would start speaking. (laughs) But to those, for the first time, seeing the legendary Casey Stengel deliver Stengelese, what a magnificent treat that was, seeing the real thing right there. (laughs) Now, what has the the family's reception been of, of your new book? very happy with it, very supportive. Uh, In Glendale, California, there is Casey Stengel Field, which is in a sad state of disrepair. It was built in the 50s, and they're using sales of the book to help raise funds for the restoration of the field. So that's a really nice thing. And I'm going to go out there and speak at the Glendale Library June 21st, uh, the Glendale Library and Arts Center as part of the fundraising. Awesome. That's such a great... I love hearing that. So um, I, I wanted... You know, I, I was really reading this book like with a fine-tooth comb here, and your book highlights some of the things that are still prevalent in baseball that originated way back when. And I'm going to say the raising of the ticket prices during the World Series as far back as 1923, promotional giveaways, contract holdouts, even John McGraw is accusing the Yankees of recording his clubhouse and using binoculars to read lips. Bat flips. Stengel's giving the five-finger salutes to opposing pitchers after home runs. Did you realize that, you know, 
Were you surprised to see that contemporary sports still follow these trends that Casey Stengel lived through many, many decades ago? Good for you for picking those things out. I'm really impressed. Uh, John McGraw making recordings was a shock to the system. I had no idea they were using that kind of technology back then. Right? It's like Um, a spygate. Yeah, that was amazing to me. What a discovery that was. Um, Did you like when a minor league game that Casey was playing in was interrupted by the car car drove across the outfield? (laughs) That was one of my favorite parts. (laughs) Can you imagine that happening of, nowadays? Oh, my gosh. But all of that stuff was precious, and good for you for uh, highlighting it. And, uh, yeah, some things just never change. That's so funny. I mean, the, the promotional giveaways, the one that you mentioned was a fruit giveaway. Now I looked up, now you can get a replica Cubs trophy. It's, it's incredible. Right. <laughs> yeah, the, the items may have improved somewhat over the years, but the concept was still there. <laughs> Now, now Casey has a lot of, I, I picked up on this too, Casey has a lot of firsts that are still around today. Here's a few of them. He was one of the first to wear sunglasses in the field. He yes. was one of the first to do some defensive shifts. Uh, he created an early camp for prospects. He scouted his opponents, which was a shocker to me that they didn't do that prior to that. He set a curfew, no gambling at the dog track, and he adapted his, his players to a new pitch, the slider. Have you ever studied a more progressive pioneer in baseball? He was advanced, and I do want to focus for a moment on that ban on the dog tracks for the players. That was was pretty dramatic. I mean, by today's standards, which we'll get to in a second, you can only imagine what that was like. But this was Casey's first spring training as Yankee manager, and all eyes were on how he was going to get along with Joe DiMaggio, the yep. game's elite player. Yep. So Casey reads this set of rules in the clubhouse the first day of spring training. Rules like you have to tip the maid $5 a week at the hotel, things like that. Anyway, <clears throat> one of the rules is that the players were forbidden from going to the dog track at night. Now, anybody who knew Joe DiMaggio knew that that's what Joe did every night. So how was this going to work? This is really like Casey drawing a line in the sand. And what happened was DiMaggio went to the dog track anyway, defied the rule. And when Casey was asked about it, Casey just said, well, I have no firsthand knowledge of that. I wasn't there, (laughs) so I have no answer. Today, could you imagine how many cell phone photos would be taken of Joe at the track and the newspaper headlines the next day, Casey, what now? (laughs) It would have been such a full-blown controversy. I don't know if the two of them would have made it out of spring training together. (laughs) Well, that kind of, you know, kind of rings true today, even with just recently this past week, the NFL players doing the arm wrestling competition in Las Vegas. Same concept. Yeah, Um, but I don't know how Casey would have fared in an age of social media, but in those days, he and all the other managers sort of had iron ring control over everything. Uh, That one would have been a real test. Now, you know, just getting back to it, have you ever studied a more progressive pioneer in baseball? I suppose there were some, but of course Casey drew a lot of attention by being with the high-profile Yankees starting in 1949. He gets a lot of credit for platooning players in and out of the lineup. 
uh, managers always knew that there was advantages and disadvantages in lefty-righty matchups. That wasn't something he discovered. But he had such an abundance of talent with the Yankees that he could do that and replace an all-star with another all-star and get away with it. John McGraw did it with the Giants when Casey was a player, and Casey was part of that system. He would play against uh, right-hand pitchers, but not against left-hand pitchers. And uh, he kind of learned it from McGraw, but it was part of the baseball culture all along. Everybody knew there were advantages and disadvantages. After studying Casey Stengel, uh, all the things that he's done as a player, as a manager, what do you think his most significant contribution to the game of baseball as a whole is? I think that would the answer to that lies in just considering him as an ambassador for the game. Right. He really transcended the sports pages so that all Americans were aware of Yogi Berra, Mickey Mantle, and Casey Stengel on the mighty Yankees of the 1950s. And the 1950s was the decade in which everybody acquired television sets. And as Casey said, I could make a living with my face. (laughs) Everybody came to know that face, and he was sort of a father figure to the game and a great ambassador for our national pastime. Um, People of a certain age, Roosevelt was always going to be the president, and Joe Lewis was always going to be the heavyweight champ. For baby boomers, Casey was always going to be the manager of the Yankees, and boy, were they in good hands. And I'm among them, and I used to feel that way. I was 12 when the Yankees fired him, and I was in shock. I couldn't believe the Yankees would ever win another game. (laughs) I felt that way with Joe Torre. He's my manager. There you go. (laughs) Now, okay, now here's another thing. The story also struck me as a, a complete story of history's direct influence on baseball. And the reader, I felt, as a reader, I wasn't just along for the ride of Casey Stengel's story, but the story of the United States, too. And I pointed, like, the World Wars, how men had to go fight lineups, Yogi Berra, for example, or how how the men that couldn't or didn't go and fight kept the spirits up of those on the home front, which was Casey's role. You took us all the way through the Civil Rights Movement. Here's Jackie Robinson saying that I think the Yankee management is prejudiced. So... Had you realized, you know, that you were telling the story of the United States through Casey Stengel? I knew it because baseball was such a part of American culture during the 20th century. It's less so today because of other sports and other forms of entertainment competing for our attention. But in the 20th century, baseball owned American attention And so everything that went on with baseball was kind of something that was going on with America. Uh, Casey was in the game from 1910 to 1965, and what a swath of American history that was. As you say, two world wars, the Depression, uh, the Civil Rights Movement. Uh, Baseball wasn't operating in a vacuum. It was all right there affecting them. And he even had gone to be um, an ambassador. He traveled to where? Japan, London, Paris, for the game of baseball. That was unheard of until that time, correct? Right. He was part of the tours. Right. It wasn't as though he organized it. No, but yeah. he was spreading the, um, the flag of baseball worldwide. Um, met the King of England. Um, Hello, King. <laughs> what did he say? Hello, King. <laughs> um, 
this uh, grand uh, ticker tape parade-like reception in Tokyo after World War II, which was a big step in the healing of relations between the two nations. So uh, he was a monumental figure in many ways. So after doing the research, what is your favorite Casey Stengel anecdote of all time now? Well, there were so many, and my favorite sometimes gets lost on the people who don't know their baseball history. But um, Sandy Koufax no-hit the Mets in 1962, Casey, the Mets' first year. And after the game, the writers said to Casey, so Casey, you think Sandy Koufax might be the best pitcher you've ever seen? And Casey was able to say, oh, no, that would be Grover Cleveland Alexander. (laughs) That's funny for people who know that name. Because Grover Cleveland Alexander was a pitcher in 1912 when Casey was a rookie. Yeah. So in a, in a heartbeat, he was just able to throw back the clock to 1912 with his answer. And that, more than anything, just talked about the long span he had in the game. Yeah, but his I feel like his message, uh, you know, being around the game for so long is just transcendent of time. I mean, he gave advice to his hitters and, and his players that... You know, still rings true today. You know, respect the older player. If you don't like what he says, just, what did he say? Let it roll around in your head, and if you don't like it, use it for a month, and if you don't like it, spit it out. I mean, that's still... Well, that was advice that was given to him when he was a young player, and he had a neighbor in his hometown of Kansas City named Kid Nichols, and Kid Nichols was a 300-game winner in the 19th century. So here was a 19th century player giving Casey advice, which he undoubtedly passed on to people over the years. Uh, Wonderful thing about baseball and stories being passed down from generation to generation. In your opinion, where do you think Stengel ranks as the top managers in all of the game? Well, I think he's in the top 10, and I think he's in a period of time now that's come to a close so that today's managers have entirely different rule book that they're following. Today's managers get everything printed out on computer so they know situational things, what to do. Casey had that all in his head. So he was from an era when that was a requirement that the managers just remember all this stuff, who hit well against this guy back in April, things like that. Mm -hmm. And of course, Casey was from a time when you could gain some leverage by running out and arguing close calls with the umpires. Maybe you win the argument, maybe you don't. But psychologically, you're also firing up your team and firing up your fan base. Today, that's gone because of the use of uh, video replays that ends the manager going out and arguing with the umpire. So that whole era has come to a close. And I think the question of great managers in history kind of has two parts now, those before the computer age and those after. Even social media. And social media. When you think about Casey operating at a time when there was really little second guessing, there was no sports talk radio, yeah. uh, there was no bloggers and Instagrams and Twitters mm-hmm. about how he's managing, uh, it was a much more peaceful time. And Maybe we'll say the same thing about this era someday when it gets, <laughs> when things we can't even imagine come to be. Yeah, and you know, what struck me is, you know, I'm trying to break into this field as well, and, and here's Casey Stengel sitting in the hotel bar with the writers 
before or after games. I think that's awesome. That's it reminds me of the, the photo of Joe Namath in in the pool with the writers. Yes, good point. Uh, and that was part of Casey's charm was entertaining the writers. He used to say, "Learn the writers' names before you learn the players' names. You'll, it'll serve you better." <laughs> and when the Mets hired him as their first manager in 1962, it was with that in mind that he would charm the writers divert attention away from the bad team that the Mets were saddled with that first year, and in so doing would establish the Mets in New York City as a force to be reckoned with. He accomplished that completely. He, uh, the charm and his personality won over the press. They became cheerleaders for the Mets franchise. And in many ways, that still exists to this day. Marty, I hope we whet my listeners and my readers' appetites here. Where can people pick up a copy of your book, Casey Stangle, Baseball's Greatest Character? It's at uh, Barnes & Noble and at Amazon and at independent bookstores and wherever people normally buy their books. Uh, this one will be available. Now, uh, I looked on Amazon. It's uh, 1462 uh, on Amazon.com, and it's Prime eligible. So everybody listening, you can have it at your house on Monday if you order it today. Half price. And that was my first book review. Do you think it was? It went well? So I, I think it went well. <laughs> I want you on my radio station. All right, tweet me. We'll do it. Uh, and I thought that went pretty well. Like I said, I, I think it shows that I actually read the book. So anybody else would like me to read their books? I can do it. And then the, the full article for that is on my website, prosportsrundown.com. If you go check out, you know, the whole write-up and everything with, with that infused in it. And just some breaking news for New York Yankees fans here. Aroldis Chapman was just put on the 10-day disabled list, retroactive to yesterday, with a rotator cuff inflammation in his left shoulder and Susan Waldman had said that she thought he was playing hurt through the broadcast last night and it turns out that he was she was right I mean Susan she gets a a rap for being a little crazy but you know what she predicted it she said it and she was right so Chapman's headed to the 10-day disabled list the Yankees said they want to give him two weeks of rest and then reevaluate after those two weeks. So that is a huge blow. And uh, I guess Delamitantis is going to go uh, back to the closing role, I think, for the Yankees. Yeah, Chapman was, uh, I think he has a, it's like she has ESPN or something. Oh, I know that's a Mean Girls reference. <laughs> but I guess Delamitantis is going to go back to the, the closing role here because uh, who knows? Who knows what's, what this is for a role, this Chapman. And. If you're having a bad week this week, let's just close it out with this. If you're having a bad week this week, think back to this moment from this show when I show you that a guy got rejected on the marriage cam at Fenway Park. And that was a video that someone tweeted, Sports Illustrated tweeted it, that uh, it's a video of them standing underneath the scoreboard with the cameraman facing away from them. And uh, it looks like they were having a very intense discussion. So not only is that embarrassing to be said, turned down, but that's even more embarrassing to be turned down in front of an entire stadium full of people. I mean, come on, she could have just said yes and then said no right away. I mean, 
What's worse? I don't know. What What's worse? Because I think it can't get much worse than being turned down in front of a stadium full of people. That the... What? That out the no? What? What's worse? My question to you is what's worse? Getting rejected in front of an entire stadium of people or would you think that her saying yes in front of the stadium full of people and then saying no shortly thereafter is worse? I think getting turned down in front of 45,000 people is worse. Especially Boston fans. Ooh. All right, guys, so thanks for checking out this episode of 60 Minute Overtime. <laughs> uh, my website, you can find my work on my website at prosportsrundown.com, Twitter at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. I also do weekly appearances on the Robin Lundberg show called Stick to Sports. That's a, a video show that he does every Wednesday at 8 p.m. That's live, so stay tuned to my Twitter. I always tweet it out when I'm on there. YouTube, search Coach Space, M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N, and SoundCloud.com slash Coach McCartan there, too. iTunes Podcast, Coach Space, M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. Tune in Radio is under the show's name, 60 Minute Overtime. Play.google.com slash Coach McCartan. And video simulcast right now on Periscope. Hi, everybody. And bye, everybody. And on Facebook. So happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. And to my mom, see you in a little while. <laughs> and uh, and thanks. Thanks for being so interactive on Periscope, guys. And thanks for the retweet, Joey. Appreciate it. All right. Catch you guys next week, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Follow me on Twitter, at Coach McCartan. That's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. To find my work on YouTube and SoundCloud, search, with no spaces, Coach McCartan. Subscribe yourself so you don't have trouble finding it in the future. That's it for today, everybody. Listen live next Sunday, 1.30 to 2.30 p.m.